Well, happy Independence Day. This is the uh, Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the uh, teaching or the lead pastor here. Uh, Some people want to call me the senior pastor, though I'm only 53, so I don't know how senior I really am. And uh, this is actually the sermon that we are going to be uh, listening to on Independence Day, July 4, 2021. Uh, It's going to look at freedom and what the Bible actually says about freedom for the the believer. It's good that you have uh, uh, tuned in today. And if uh, you have been listening to our podcast, you know that we just finished the Sermon on the Mount, and that was almost a a year-long study. And uh, today is going to be kind of a standalone sermon, and then we're going to launch next week into a whole uh, series on the Courageous Church. And uh, I would invite you to uh, listen in and and connect with that. And if you're ever in the Central Oregon area in Powell Butte, uh, Oregon, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning or Saturday night at our cowboy service. Anyways, uh, uh, this is a, a sermon entitled Let Freedom Ring. We're going to be in both John 8 and Exodus chapter 1. So John chapter 8 and Exodus chapter 1. Perhaps you've heard these words. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. And with those words, the American colonists declared their intention to throw off the yoke of British oppression and launching the movement that would eventually establish the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And it was all about freedom. Freedom. It was in August of 1776 when a committee composed of Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and John Adams, proposed a design for a new national seal for the new American nation. Each one of the men gave their own ideas, Franklin and Jefferson proposing the image of Moses and the Israelites being rescued from the hand of Pharaoh and his armies. That design made its way to the final proposal, with actually the words, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. That's not the seal that we have because the red tape of government was conceived at the birth of the nation as well. And this whole idea, very cool idea of Moses and Pharaoh on the seal of the United States uh, official seal, that whole idea was tabled and it was never considered again. And uh, eventually we got that eagle with the shield and the arrows But the story of the biblical exodus for our founding fathers was actually a validation. It it rallied groups together that were confronted by an enemy greater than themselves. And so they were going to stand together against tyranny. And rebellion to tyrants was obedience to God. See, for the American colonists, for the founding fathers, success against the British Empire would not be achieved without understanding that God had to be behind them. It was obedience to God that would allow them to cast off the yoke of oppression. 
See, at the end of the book of Genesis, God's people had made their way out of Canaan to live in Egypt. That, that was actually a good thing at the time because there had been a famine in the land, and Joseph, one of Jacob, who eventually would be named Israel, one of his sons, uh, became second in command of all of Egypt and in charge of rationing out the, the grain that had been accumulated during seven years of plenty for this seven years of famine. And the Pharaoh rewarded Joseph by allowing his family to come and live in the northern part of Egypt, the northeastern part of Egypt, called the land of Goshen. And there they were employed. Uh, they uh, enjoyed living on the land as shepherds. Uh, they were uh, provided for. It was a great thing to be in Egypt at that time. But eventually a, a Pharaoh came around that did not know Joseph, and he saw all of these people that had increased in number. And uh, he grew afraid of their numbers and decided it would be best to enslave them. And so then the Hebrews were under oppression. They fell under slavery in the land that they once enjoyed freedom. They were forced to make mud bricks, which was miserable work. Uh, they were forced to do that to supply their oppressors with resources to build their empire. And so the, the Egyptians were actually, the Egyptian government was actually benefiting from the slavery of the Hebrew people. Uh, it got worse because Pharaoh then demanded uh, that uh, the Hebrews would uh, have all of their male children slaughtered. Okay. The Hebrews cried out to Jehovah their God, and he came to their aid. And he did so by rescuing one male child, a boy named Moses, who would grow up raised by Pharaoh's own daughter in the Egyptian court to understand the, the mindset and the culture of the Egyptians, the language of the Egyptians. As an adult, Moses was called by God through the burning bush to deliver then the Hebrews from slavery. It was, uh, Moses was uniquely equipped by God to do this, and there was this epic showdown where Moses would confront Pharaoh, saying, let God's people go. And after a series of horrible plagues that would show how much God was greater than the uh, gods of Egypt, Pharaoh finally relented after the death of all the firstborn of the Egyptian families. Now, the, the Hebrews that were living in Egypt, their children were safe because the Lord had told them, if you put the blood of the Passover lamb onto the doorposts, then the angel of death will, when he comes through Egypt, pass over your house and your children will be saved through the blood of the lamb. And at the end of it all, God then led his people out of slavery and he led them to the mountain where the law was given to them and he led them through a wilderness experience where they learned to obey and finally he led them into the land that he had promised that the patriarchs Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that he would give to his people one day see the story of the exodus out of slavery into a promised land is the exact same story for those who have turned their lives over to the Lord Jesus. It served as a kind of a precursor or a foreshadowing of what God was really trying to do in a spiritual sense for His people. Because, you know, as Americans, we, we're not enslaved. Slavery is not part of our present reality. But in, in a very spiritual sense, we are. We have been enslaved. 
See, if, if I were to ask an American, to what are you a slave to? They would think that that was a very weird question. They, they might even get kind of uh, defensive. They'd say, hey, this is America. It's, I'm free. We have freedom here. I, I'm not a slave to anybody. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Very interesting. That would actually probably have been very much the same response that Jesus would have received from the Jews uh, in, in an event that is recorded in John chapter 8. So if you go to John chapter 8, I want to read to you when Jesus was talking to them, the, the Jews about slavery, and they got a little bit defensive as well. Let's start it in John chapter 8. Look at verses 31 through 33. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus, well, 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 I'll stop right there. How can you say that we shall be set free? We've never been slaves to anyone. See, their, their reaction when Jesus talked about being enslaved and freedom it was almost as if their national pride came to the forefront, and they said, listen, we're, we're not slaves. We've never been slaves. <laughs> now, Jesus could have said, oh, yeah? Well, what about Egypt? What about Assyria? What about Babylon? What about Rome right now, for crying out loud? What, what do you mean you've never been oppressed? You've never been slaves. You, you don't know what that's all about. But again, Jesus wasn't talking about a physical slavery to a political power. And I think they probably understood that. They probably at least had a sneaking suspicion that he was probably talking about something else. And he was. He was talking about a different kind of freedom. Look at verse 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Uh, see, there it is. A problem far more serious than just being under the, the, the thumb of Rome or being enslaved in Egypt. Just like you and I have a far more serious problem than when our particular political party that we identify with is not in power and we feel like freedoms are being taken away. That's a problem, but we've got a far deeper problem than that. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Uh, Jesus says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. And Peter would say, well, you're, you're a slave to whatever masters you. So that means sin was mastering us. And sin was mastering the, the Jews that Jesus was talking to here. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to somebody to obey him as slaves, you are slaves then to the one that you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Folks, we have slavery today. It, it, slavery is alive and well today, though it's not physical slavery. It is spiritual slavery. Uh, you you want to know the slave masters of our culture today? About work or money or pornography or the media or alcohol or food or fitness or fashion or sports or gambling or music politics or relationships. Folks, I could go on and on and on. Those that have mastered us, those that we have given ourselves over to, and they master us, we are their slaves. 
I hear all the time people saying, well, listen, I can stop anytime I want. You know what that really means? Listen, I've, I've decided to give up control to this thing that I'm addicted to. They've enslaved themselves to somebody who, number one, does not care about them, and number two, has no real power to bring fulfillment or purpose to one's life. So when we turn a blind eye to slavery, <clears throat> you are like the Hebrews in, in Egypt, living in denial. <laughs> now, let's uh, kind of keep our finger there in John chapter 8. And actually, let's go down to Exodus chapter 1. That's way in the front of the book. Uh, it goes Genesis, and then the second book of the Bible is Exodus. And if, if we want to look there at chapter 1, we're going to see some pretty amazing things here. Again, Genesis has ended. It's a good ending. The people are being provided for down there in Egypt, in the land of Goshen. There's health and happiness. There's growth. There's prosperity. And, and verse 7 of Exodus 1 tells us that the, the Israelites had been fruitful, and they had multiplied greatly and had become numerous. That was an awesome time to be a Hebrew. But in verse 8 of chapter 1, everything changes. It, it's, it reads like this. A, a new king who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. So what does that have to do with us in the 21st century Western world? The remainder of today, again, it's going to be the 4th of July, Independence Day, when the church hears this message. This, the remainder of this message is going to be a lesson about freedom and the loss of freedom, not just as Americans, but as individuals who were designed to have a relationship with God based on freedom. As you look at the life and the experience of the Jews there in, or the, in, in Egypt, you're going to, first of all, understand that awareness should lead us to action. Awareness should lead to action. Now, the Bible doesn't actually say this specifically, but you've got to know that if the Hebrews had watched closely, if they had been observing what was happening in the political realm of Pharaoh's court, they might have seen it coming. They might have actually been more aware of the danger that was building up behind the scenes. And if they had been aware, they would have then probably taken action if they were wise. They would have picked up stakes and hightailed it out of Dodge. They weren't being forced to stay in Goshen, by the way, not for hundreds of years. If they had watched the signs of the times, they would have understood what was happening. If they were aware, that would have led them to action. How many of you, if you knew that if by living in a certain city, that that would end up in your life with your children being killed and you being enslaved, what would you do? What do you think the reason behind thousands of people lining up outside of our border right now, our southern border, is all about? 
in their country, they, they saw the writing on the wall. They left murderous regimes behind, hoping to find a safe place. In the same way, if you knew that the place that you're living in is going to end up actually hurting you, you would be wise to leave. You don't stick around thinking, well, maybe it won't happen. And yet the, the Hebrews stayed in Egypt, away from the promised land, by the way, which is bizarre. They were away from the promised land because they'd gotten very comfortable living in the land of Goshen. And they'd stayed away for hundreds of years. Why? Well, maybe it was the lush land. Maybe it was the good life. Maybe it was the relative peace that they enjoyed. Their life was so good that actually years later, when they were out of Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness, not yet uh, achieving um, uh, the, the conquest of the promised land, they actually thought back to the good old days of Egypt. It's almost like they became blind, willfully blind, to what eventually would happen to them in Egypt. What if somebody warned you about some of the choices that you're making right now? You, you know, if you get involved with that, you're going to become hooked on that, and you're going to end up losing your family and your job. Would you still do it? Sadly, I think a lot of us would. Why? Well, uh, our hearts become hard. We've been deceived by the enemy. Somehow we think we're immune to becoming out of control. I've got this. I got it. Don't worry about it. I won't be enslaved. But God warns us about our sinful choices. If you go back to Romans chapter 6, uh, back to verses 19 through 21, this is what Paul says. I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to slavery, to impurity, and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. See, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. What did you reap? <laughs> death. See, God is making us aware so that we can take action and flee from the temptations that would lead us into slavery, to sinfulness and shame. But oftentimes we'll miss all of those signs because we like living in Goshen. We like living in Egypt. We don't see the problem. We don't see the threat building up until it's way too late. Awareness should lead us to action. Second of all, we must remember the reality of our enemy. It's not like we're, we're living life in a vacuum where everybody is on the same page. We have an enemy, folks. Look at verses 15 and 16. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. And the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. Boy, the Hebrews definitely had an enemy. An enemy that didn't just want to enslave them because he was afraid of their power if they had uh, consolidated and fought against him. But he didn't just want to enslave them. He, he realized that the better plan was to actually destroy them. And so if you get rid of boys, you're going to wipe out the purebred population. If you keep the girls, well, we'll use them. 
We'll make them bear Egyptian children, and we will wipe out the Hebrew culture forever. <laughs> Boy, folks, we have an enemy that wants to wipe out the Christian culture forever. First Peter chapter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be self-controlled and be alert, because your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. See, you and I are living on the enemy's turf. The ruler of this world, the God of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, those are all terms that uh, are applied to the devil. As long as we're living in this world, until Jesus comes back, we are on enemy territory. He doesn't have to go into a foreign land to grab us and to pull us into a different land. We're living here in the war zone. We're behind enemy lines. And that enemy doesn't just want to enslave you. He wants to destroy you and your entire culture. It was June 7, 1944, where Brigadier General Norman Cota came upon a group of infantrymen pinned down by some Germans in a farmhouse. So he asked the captain in command, why, why are your troops making no effort to go in and take the building? And the captain said, sir, the Germans are in there and they're shooting at us. Well, of course they were. That's what the enemies do. They try to destroy you. The, 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 the devil doesn't care about you. In fact, he wants to get you out of the way. That's why he'll offer you a lot of tempting things to disarm you, to make you think that he's really not that dangerous. See, when the devil presents a choice to you that is going to lead you into sin, know this. He didn't lead you to that woman who was flirting with you merely to give you pleasure, merely to give you satisfaction that you weren't getting from your wife at home. No, he led you there to destroy your marriage and your family and the trust that your children have in you and your reputation. He didn't lead you to the unwatched stack of cash there at your place of business so that you could take it and enjoy things that you would not have been able to afford had you not stolen the money. No, he led you there to fan into flames your discontentment with what God has given to you. And he led you there to see you willfully throw away your integrity as an honest person, whether you get caught or not. See, the Bible tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. But do you really think that you were led to temptation because the enemy cares about your pleasure? Are you serious? You don't know, you don't know your enemy, if that's what you think. The temptation that you're being led to by the enemy is all about ruining you. Ruining your faith, ruining your reputation, ruining your integrity, ruining those around you physically and emotionally and spiritually. Don't believe me? <laughs> Listen to Ted Bundy being interviewed just before his execution as he tells about his addiction to pornography. That started out with just a, a few magazines, but how it led him to become a murderer because the high that he got from the earlier forms of pornography were not good enough to bring him to that high again, and he had to go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Listen to your friend who's gotten caught up in an affair and now feels trapped in it. 
Listen to the lives of celebrities who look glamorous on the outside but who are inwardly miserable and empty. Watch, watch the man closely who works ridiculous hours to have just a lot of stuff to keep up with the neighbors but never will have time to enjoy it. Look around until you're convinced that Satan does not care about you. He doesn't make people's lives better. He makes them bitter. Look around until you see that his plan for mankind is ruin and destruction. He is a tyrant, even more of a tyrant than King George III, against whom the American patriots were revolting against 200 years ago. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. <coughs> Are you willing to mount your own revol revolution against the devil, the ultimate of all tyrants in the same way? If so, then you must know, thirdly, that in this Exodus story, God promises power that will lead to freedom. God promises the power that will lead to freedom. See, for the rest of their history, God is going to tell Israel to look back and remember how he delivered them from Egypt. Why? Well, there was something powerful about his deliverance. There was something powerful in the way that he moved in their life while they were enslaved in Egypt and then brought out of slavery into a promised land. See, even when Pharaoh was abusing them and planning their ruin, God was actually preserving the Hebrews, and he was planning their freedom. See, God had big plans for his people. Plans not just for their prosperity and freedom, but plans for his glory to be seen through their story. So he promised them to give them the land of Canaan, and God says, I'm going to keep my word. And then he'd always go back to that story. Remember what I did for you in Egypt. Remember what I did for you in Egypt. See, that's the, the message that God wants us to understand today. For anyone who is enslaved to all of those things that we, we, we talked about that could be slave masters, God has made a plan for us to be free. It is for freedom that we have been set free. And the evidence of the freedom that God has in store for us is all around us. There are people in our congregation who know the power of God to free us from addiction. Addiction to drugs or to illicit sexual relationships or to alcohol or to codependency. He, he has freed us from greed and discontentment. He has freed us to live according to his word. Folks, the evidence that God wants to free us is just as, as, as uh, concrete as the story of the Exodus. Now, if we go back to John chapter 8, as Jesus is confronting the Pharisees in chapter 8, this is what he's telling us. He says in verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, guess what? You are free Indeed. See, I stopped two verses short when I read to you from Romans chapter 6. We ended up talking about the consequence of sin, be, letting that be our master, and, and what we reap from that is death. But then Paul speaks about the benefits of freedom. If you look at verse 22 of Romans 6, it says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit that you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. See, that's God's plan all along. Death and destruction are what the enemy has planned for you. 
And remember that when temptation comes your way, folks. It might be fun for a while, but at the end, it will catch up to you. And so in conclusion, Paul says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, that's what it means to let freedom ring in our life. Not that we have just thrown the, the oppressor off in, in a political sense. This Independence Day, the day that we celebrate freedom from tyranny, we must ask ourselves, wait a second, am I really free in my spirit? Am I really free to live the kind of life that God wants me to live? Or am I still under a tyrant? Remember, Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And that's why Jesus came down to die for us. That's why the patriots died in the 1700s, to throw off the tyranny of King George III. And rebellion to tyranny is obedience to God. So Jesus came and he sacrificed himself to pay for our sins, to open up a new covenant in His blood, a, a better covenant, a, a covenant based on relationship, a covenant based on mercy and grace and obedience, not because we have to, but because we are filled with God's Spirit who is changing us. Jesus said, if you are sinning, you're a slave to sin, and He wants to set you free, and He died to set you free. It may be this morning that, or as you're listening to this podcast, that you're caught up in something and you're finally ready to let God deal with it. See, it's God's will that you live above your sinful nature. It's His design and His purpose of the Holy Spirit to change you, to recreate you into the image of Jesus so that sinful nature begins to fade away and those things that would catch you up in its net, those things start to fall by the wayside as you begin to live your life uh, more fully following the teachings of Jesus, more fully uh, following the model that He gave to us in servanthood and love for God with all of our hearts and love for people as we love ourselves. See, when Jesus begins to live in us through His Spirit, we not only receive the gift of eternal life, but we get the gift of sanctification of becoming more and more like Jesus. And that, folks, is the freedom that God has intended us to live in. So today, it's a bit different. Um, uh, well, this weekend's going to be a little bit different because we're going to invite people actually to come to the front. Uh, so if you're listening to this podcast, for you, it's, it's going to be a matter of will you physically take a moment and, and write Think about, maybe even write down what it is that is enslaving you today, and then picture taking that to the cross and pinning it there, nailing it there as a way to say, listen, I know that when Jesus died for me, He set me free from these things that I am still enslaved to, but I want to give it over to the Lord. I want to see it. I want to see it on the cross. I need to see it on the cross to be to, as a reminder for me to say, listen, this is gone. Jesus took this away from me when he went to the cross. I'm going to let God deal with it because I want freedom. I want freedom to ring in my life. But that's only going to happen when I turn my life over to the one who bought my freedom and live in the plan that he has given to me for my life. 
All right. Well, that was kind of what we were talking about today. It's good to have you with us. And again, I want to thank uh, all the people that make this podcast possible for my executive producer, Lisa Welly, does all of this stuff at home. I I appreciate uh, uh, Steve Pittman for getting all of our equipment up and running and, and letting us be able to have technology to do this kind of stuff. And and I want to just thank you for uh, your time listening into the podcast and checking it in, uh, checking in on it each week, and um, and learning and listening. And I uh, would love to hear from you guys if you want to reach out and let me know that uh, you're you're listening different places. Uh, recently, people have told me that they're listening from across the country, and that was very uh, exciting and encouraging. Uh, we do pray that God uses the words here and the messages here to, to really deepen people's faith in Him and their walk with Him. So uh, may God bless you this Independence Day as we uh, celebrate being independent from uh, Britain. We now can also, as God's people, celebrate independence from the slavery to sin. We no longer have to live in that slavery as we declare dependence upon God. All right, God bless you, and we'll... Uh, Have a time next week that we can talk with you.